Good morning. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, uh, we welcome you into our midst this morning. And uh, we gather here in your name. We gather here, Lord, uh, seeking your face, seeking your kingdom. And so we pray today, Lord, that you would um, open our hearts and whatever it is that you have in store for us as your people, as Emmanuel, as individuals um, seeking you in our hearts, we pray, Lord, that you would meet us there and that you would do some good kingdom work in our lives today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're nearing our journey's end through the book of Romans. And if you've been tuning in for this whole school year, we've been in it this whole school year. And um, I appreciate that because how easy is it for us to stick to the three or four or a dozen passages we know really well. And that, those passages might sum up our faith really well, but it's really easy to stick with those and not learn some new stuff, right? And even as a pastor... There's 15 or 20 things I could preach on until my face turned blue, and I wouldn't have to pick up any study materials to go deeper into that text, right? Because um, I've written papers on them before and done things like that. But here, we've gone through and we've read every verse of Romans thus far in worship, and if there's things that I hadn't taught on or preached on before, guess what? I had to learn. I had to study. Um, and that is a good practice for all of us in the body of Christ. Uh, we don't want to skip over the things that are more difficult uh, just to make our lives easier. We want to preach through and discuss and see all of God's word for what it is and grow in God's word. So we're nearing the end of that journey. And in chapter 15 here, Paul is kind of starting to tie things up and wrap up his letter to the church in Rome. And he's sharing some final remarks. He's kind of summarizing and referencing some things that we'll reference here today. And talking about his future plans. And Pastor Kurt gets the delight next week of preaching on the 16th chapter, which is pretty much a bunch of shout-outs to different people. Um, I don't know what you're going to do with that, but I won't be here, so good luck. Yeah, it's, it's Pentecost, so that's a good thing. And whoever the reader is next week, there's some you want to practice ahead of time. So Today, the hope is that we can read, do some review and pick up some of the very important big-picture things that Paul discussed through the book of Romans, and also some big-picture things from Paul's life, because his character is important for us to look at, too. We see throughout Paul's letters in the New Testament many different pieces of his own sin and his own struggle, but the enormous amount of grace that God has provided him and the healing that God has worked in his life. So there's a lot of things we can learn from Paul's life, too, that we can infer. So Paul's life, we can learn a lot from it. Uh, as we've said before, Paul was not a super Christian, as much as we'd like to think that he was, uh, but he was filled with the same truth and the same Holy Spirit that we have access to in the body of Christ today. The same truth and the same Holy Spirit, which means uh, as we continue to live out God's calling on our lives and our mission today as the body of Christ, we can have the same empowerment and the same foundation that Paul himself had. We shouldn't count ourselves out just because Paul wrote all of these eloquent letters theologically soundly, right? So first I want to touch on some of these points that Paul says he boldly has written on here in chapter 15. So this is 15, verse 15 is where I start. Yet I have written you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again, because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. 
He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So what is Paul talking about? What are these bold, these things that he has boldly reminded them of? I've kind of summarized those into five chunks, and we could have 10 or 15, but I think five is a really good compilation of what Paul has talked about. The first one of these is this, uh, and we got this in the first couple chapters really heavy in Romans. The law is very much still useful in our lives, and it still teaches us today. Paul says in Romans 2.12, All who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law, and all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. So he's pretty much put everybody in one of these two camps, right? We recognize the law and live under it, or we do away with the law and we say, I have no part with that either through ignorance or sometimes willfully, right? We choose not to live within God's desires for our lives. And whether we recognize the law, which reflects God's heart for us, and morality and good decision-making, or whether we completely disregard it and say, that's not for me, Paul's saying here that we have consequences for one of those two things. All who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law. So if we do away with it, That's not the best thing for us. And all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. And that might sound like a daunting thing too, right? Which we'll get into in our bigger points here. These are the consequences of sin. The law was necessary to point out what is and is not considered God's best life for us. And Paul was writing this to a church that had some of Jewish background and many Gentiles And they had disputes over whether the law was really important or is it just Jesus. I think Paul would say both. The law is really important and it is just Jesus. And there's consequences to choosing death over life. So Paul is boldly proclaiming that the law is still useful and it still informs us of God's heart and it still governs the consequence of sin. The second thing is this. We are completely and utterly helpless to follow the law perfectly, right? Paul definitely hammers this home, and he knows that he himself is included in that. Sin is a very real problem for humanity and for us. We can't do it. We cannot earn righteousness because one slip-up brings the whole house of cards down. We just can't do it. And no person, with the exception of Jesus himself, has ever lived a perfect life and therefore fulfilled the law. We cannot earn salvation. We are not good people apart from the goodness of God that is already in us. For all have sinned and fallen short, Paul writes earlier in the book of Romans. And we need a Savior, and we can't do it on our own. Which brings us to our third point. Where we fall short and sin... The righteousness of Christ is sufficient and powerful enough to step in so that we can experience grace and forgiveness. So yes, there's a sin problem. No, we can't do it. But this is the gospel, friends. We can't, but God can. And God has, and God will. Right? We are not righteous, but Jesus is, and only in Jesus Christ do we begin to experience and grow in that righteousness. So yes, there's a sin problem, but Jesus is the answer to that sin problem, 
And this is truly the gospel that Paul is proclaiming here in the book of Romans. Paul writes in Romans 3.22, This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. We are not righteous, but Jesus is. And we get to experience and take on the goodness of God, the goodness of Christ and his righteousness through his death and resurrection, through a relationship with Jesus Christ. We talked a few months ago about the importance of belief. Not just believing that the resurrection happened, but believing in the power of the resurrection for our lives as well. It's more than a historical event. Jesus is more than a historical figure. He's a very living Savior that we have a relationship with. And so this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. The fourth is this. Living according to Christ and his righteousness looks really easy, maybe on paper, but it is not always easy, is it? And often we'll find persecution and even conflict even with other believers, right? That's why there's 38,000 denominations of Christian church across the world. And this one is important because sometimes we paint the picture of life with Christ as all puppy dogs and butterflies, right? Puppy dogs and butterflies are, are cute and they're, they make you laugh and giggle and they're peaceful. Um, that is not always the life that we have when we're following Jesus Christ, because it is not always easy. We will have present sufferings, and we will have persecution, and we will have conflicts with other followers of Jesus from different tribes, or even conflicts with our own. We will encounter people who have fallen away and wandered away from the grace and the love of Christ, and we will even be tempted to do that ourselves will be tempted to trade the way, the truth, and the life for the lies. But there's still encouragement here. Even in the midst of this reality, even in the midst of knowing that following Jesus isn't easy in this world, right? Can I get an amen? Even in the midst of this, the incredible love and glory and life that we share in Christ is infinitely more significant and valuable and worth it when compared to the sufferings that we go through. So this isn't to downplay the reality of our pain today or yesterday or tomorrow, but it is to say that what God has in store for his followers and for those who love him eternally, man, this is all going to seem like nothing compared to the joy that we get to experience in Christ Jesus. And we get to start experiencing that today. We don't realize it fully, but we have the promise that it is coming, and Jesus will return. So the fifth and the final main theme that I'm pulling out this morning is the love of Christ as displayed in Jesus Christ and empowered in us by the power of the Holy Spirit. This love should lead and guide our every move, our every conversation, and our every relationship. Whether a person is a Jew or a Gentile, a, a believer who eats meat or doesn't eat meat, all these examples that Paul's walked through, whether someone is strong in their faith or weak in their faith, whether we are interacting with people who know Jesus already or people who don't, God's love is never to be severed and removed from our actions as the people of God. Now that's hard to live out too, isn't it? We live in a culture, a society of reaction, 
Whoever reacts the quickest and the loudest typically is the voice that everyone hears, right? As parents, we are working on not being as reactive when our house is complete chaos every day. But God's love is never to be separated from all that we are as the church, as a body, and as individuals. This is a personal discipleship issue just as much as it affects the entire body of Christ. And it's a lifelong process of learning and practicing. And there's grace when we don't live up to it. There's always grace. But it is essential that we be moving in that direction. If we have this life-saving gospel of Jesus Christ to proclaim to the world, we want them to be listening. And if we've left love by the roadside and we're not carrying that with us, um, there's a lot of people who won't care about the gospel message that we have if they don't feel like we care about them. And so this is a good thing for us to chew on that Paul is very much preaching to the church in Rome as well. You're going to have conflict, and you're going to be in different places, but guess what? This is how you treat each other, just like Jesus would treat you. So Paul sure covers some really good stuff in Romans. Those are five big themes. And where does our text take us here today? In verse 17, Paul continues to write, Therefore I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done. So what does it mean to glory in Christ? If you were to take this verse out of context, uh, somebody might look at it and say, Paul is full of himself. He's saying, give me all the credit for what I've done for Jesus, right? In verse 17 in the English Standard Version, it says, in Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. And if Paul would have just left it there, we would have said, eh, Paul, I don't know if that's, that's exactly the right thing. But he continues. Paul here has the right to exaltation, but it is not self-exaltation. It is not, look what I've done. Rather, it is, look what God has done in me and for me. And so this glory in Christ, it is the glory of Christ and in through him that he's lifting up. It is not his own effort or his own merit. How can we say that regarding our own lives? How can we glory in Christ? How can we lift up what God has done in us and for us? What is our testimony about God's glory working in our lives? What about God's grace and his love? And his forgiveness makes us excited. Maybe even to the point where we'd tell somebody about it. It's something to be thinking about. In verse 19, Paul continues. He talks about signs and wonders. Uh, these are the miracles of the Holy Spirit that Jesus did. And they are also things that he taught and told his disciples to carry on and said, you guys are going to do even greater things than what I have done. And so this life of the Spirit, this kingdom breaking through and bringing healing and wisdom and all sorts of things um, is something that is part of Paul's life and ministry as well. And I believe it. I don't know about you, but I've seen it and I've experienced it. And if God can save me from my sin, that's a miracle, right? Then something like a healing or hearing his voice doesn't seem so far off. 
And then in verse 20, Paul continues to talk about his witnessing heart. Even after all that he has done and said and laid out to this church in Rome, he's already thinking about where God has called him next. He's already getting excited about proclaiming the gospel in places where it has not yet been proclaimed. Paul has a passion to build a Christ-centered foundation for people based on much of what he has laid out in this book of Romans. This gives us a great snapshot of his theology and how he's handling this, this diverse group of people in the early church coming together to get to know Christ. And he lays out his plans in the rest of chapter 15 to continue in this mission and gospel proclaiming that God has called him to do. I really appreciate how, God, how Paul's passion comes across here, right? And his commitment to the gospel and to the kingdom of God. And you see this throughout Romans. It's not just this chapter. And you see this throughout his other letters that we have in the Old Testament as well. And so if one of the things we're looking at this morning is Paul's life and character and how we can grow and learn, just looking at him and his devotion... How would we go about summarizing Paul's life? Would you call him a super Christian? I'm not thinking of like, you're a super Christian. I'm thinking of the negative connotations that go with that. Would you say that he had some super special anointing that nobody else gets to have? Or maybe you'd even call him a workaholic. Think that he was far too committed to the gospel. These are all things that if Paul were living today, these might be some accusations raised against him inside and outside the church. I think Paul's life can be summarized in our gospel passage today, which is why I picked this kingdom passage. Paul laid up his treasures in heaven, didn't he? He didn't used to. His treasure was in persecuting Christians. He met Jesus on the road to Damascus, and everything changed for him. And from that point, his ministry grew, and it started, and he learned, and he grew. And it became about what was eternal, not about what was being stored up here on this earth. His heart did not dwell on the idols and the pursuits of a broken humanity, but on the Heavenly Father who saves the broken humanity. I think that's a good summary of what we see in Paul's life. Now, he didn't say he was perfect. He said that he did what he did not want to do, and what he wanted to do, he just couldn't do, right? And doesn't that summarize our lives, too? But Paul laid up his treasures in heaven. He also desired to be full and overflowing with the life of Christ. And Paul is somebody who does not serve two masters. He served one. Jesus Christ, because he knows that the world cannot save him, that money cannot save him. Money cannot buy freedom or salvation, but only his master, Jesus, can do that. Only his master can grant that. And then Paul is one who relentlessly seeks first the kingdom of God, and he does it with commitment and with a focus And he does it with urgency. That's something we're going to talk about more this summer. Kingdom urgency. Because there is an urgency to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul understood that. This wasn't something God wanted him to put off. God didn't want him to put off his passion or his conviction of the gospel. He didn't want him to put off this yearning to see people come to know the love of God. 
God wanted him to act on it. And the same is true for us today. So what is it in your life, in our lives together, that gets stirred up when you think of Paul's ministry? Think about what you know, whether just a little bit or a lot. I think one of the things we might feel is inferiority, right? But if that's you, if you feel like you just couldn't live up to that example, know that Jesus wants to know you and help you discover and use your gifts and talents with the same amount of love and the same amount of passion that he gave Paul. Because again, it is the same truth, the same Jesus, the same Holy Spirit. Or maybe you feel like it's impossible to live with that passion that Paul has for the gospel. I think that one resonates with me. I'm, I tend to be a little more melancholy when things happen in the world around me. And so I often feel like I just lack the excitement and the passion that I see Paul writing with. Uh, there was a time I picked up a book by Francis Chan. I think it was, oh, what was it called? The Love One, Red Cover, anyway. Do you remember what that is, anybody? I, I started reading it, and two chapters in, I put it down, and I said, I can't read this. This guy's way too passionate, and I don't feel that, right? Maybe, maybe you felt that way sometimes. Maybe that's how you feel when you read Paul's life. But our lives can be just as full as Paul's when it comes to passion. Again, it doesn't mean it's perfect every day. And our lives can be just as productive in the kingdom of God as Paul's life was as well. Because it is Christ who sustained him and Christ who sustains us. And in Christ Jesus, all things are possible through him and his strength, right? And maybe the Holy Spirit this morning is stirring up something else for you. Hopefully it's not the inferior, I can't live up to this. Maybe there's a dream or a desire or a passion to engage in the world in a deeper way, in a more godly way, in a, in a way that really takes the essence of the gospel with you wherever you go. Maybe Paul's life is an encouragement and a motivator to you. And if that's you today, I would encourage you, don't let that passion go to sleep. It's really easy to have dreams and desires and never talk about them and never discuss them with people because maybe they seem crazy but sometimes those things are stirred up by God and they deserve a little bit of attention in our lives. So if the Holy Spirit is stirring up something in you that would transform your life or, or maybe would transform how you do ministry or invest your time and resources, talk about it with some people that, that love you and trust that you trust. Talk about it with your brothers and sisters in Christ and with your family. Study God's word and his scripture to see if something else pops up to help bring some clarity. And see what God makes out of it. And in all things, we learn together to seek first the kingdom of God, like Paul, right? And everything else that matters will fall into place. And if we seek first the kingdom of God, there's going to be some things we think matter that probably don't matter as much, right? If any of us have grown spiritually over the years, we know that to be true. Seek first the kingdom of God and everything else that matters will be given unto you. This is the words of Jesus in our gospel this morning. So wherever we find ourselves this morning, I hope we're encouraged by the life of Paul. I hope we're encouraged by this letter. 
The church that he is writing to isn't that different from the church today in our modern world. And so the prayers and the hopes and the dreams that he had for them are dreams and prayers that we can take on for the body of Christ today as well. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you and we praise you for so long ago working in the life of Paul, for giving us this, this incredible letter full of truth, full of passion, full of love. And Lord, wherever it is that you want to speak to us this morning and stir something good up in us, we pray, Lord, that you would do so. Lord, that you would have your way in us, that your kingdom would come and your will would be done in our lives and in this world. And Lord, we pray that in all things we would learn to seek first the kingdom of God. That we wouldn't be seeking human praise. That we wouldn't be seeking societal influence. That we wouldn't be seeking worldly things or institutional preservation, but that we would seek your kingdom. Lord, grow in us the same laser focus and passion that we see in Paul. And Lord, we pray that you would move. May we be faithful torchbearers of this incredible gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.